May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power, by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Though you have not seen Jesus, you love Him. Though you do not now see Him, you believe in Him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Yes, you have sorrow now. But He will see you again. And your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy from you. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating or drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Therefore, look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Yes, you have a high priest who passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, so hold fast to your confession. You do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with your weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Draw near, therefore, with confidence to the throne of grace, so that you may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say, rejoice. Count it all joy, my brothers and sisters. When you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Because the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. faithfulness. Until now you haven't, you haven't asked anything in Jesus' name. Ask now in His name and you will receive that your joy may be full. He makes known to you the path of life. In Jesus' presence there is fullness of joy. At His right hand there's pleasures forevermore. Therefore, rejoice always. Let all who take refuge in Him rejoice. Let them ever sing for joy. In all your afflic affliction, 
You are overflowing with joy. Brothers and sisters, rejoice insofar as you share in Christ's suffering. That you may also rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. Lord, Your words were found and we ate them. Your words became to us a joy and the delight of our hearts. Thou shout and sing for joy, O Zion, for great in your midst is the Holy One of Israel. Blessed are you, are you who remain steadfast under trial, for when you have stood the test, you will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love Him. Because we know, because we know that all things work together for those who love God, who are called according to His purpose. The sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed to us. It has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in Him, but also suffer for His sake. Because all who desire to live a godly life will be persecuted. It took them, it took less than 10 days. In all that, in all that, I hope you've tasted and sensed and felt and seen and heard what the Bible teaches about joy and trials, joy and testing. There's almost no difference in the life of a Christian. There's almost no pause. There's almost no um, separation between joy and trials, between comfort and sorrow. In talking about life, the Bible talks or uses the metaphor of, of testing or trials. But all these trials are always accompanied by joy. Always. A joy rooted in Christ. A joy, the joy of knowing Christ and the joy that glorifies Christ. Let me give you some examples of testing or types of testing in the Christian life. How do you love difficult to love people? How do you love difficult to love people? How do you solve and deal with difficult to deal with problems in your family and in your church? How do you behave or what do you do with some kind of success that can be damaging to your soul? Success can have any forms. Financial. How do you solve a conflict in which you are the root problem and you know it? How do you deal with the illness of those you love an illness that will kill you. 
How do you deal with wave after wave of disappointments in your church, in your private life, in your family, in, with your friends? Testing and trials do two things to a Christian. Number one, they reveal the character. And number two, they develop that character. What happens during testing? What is tested? My love is tested. My patience is tested. My faith and trust, my faith and trust is tested. My humility and endurance are tested. My willingness to sacrifice are tested. And my obedience are tested. All these are revealed during times of testing. And all these are built, strengthened, augmented during times of trial. And to come to our theme, during times of te testing, more than anything else, what is tested, what is thrown into the fiery furnace, as we will see, is your joy, my joy in Christ. The source of your joy. So I just listed seven things. Let me list them again. And we'll look at how they relate to joy. Shortly. I'll talk about love, patience, faith, endurance, humility, willingness to sacrifice, and obedience. Number one, a test of patience. Trials are a test of patience. No matter who you are, no matter how long you've been a Christian, any kind of testing or the trial will test your patience. The Lord has a timing for fulfilling His plans, and the only two things we can do is pray and wait. In the life of a Christian, praying and waiting are the definition of patience. Now, I wonder if you consider that beautiful. How beautiful is that? You don't have to do anything. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Be constant in prayer. Right? Jesus is saying to you, Look at me. Let me work. Wait for me. Now, if you don't believe in Jesus, everything I'm saying now and have said up to this point and will say till the end is complete rubbish. If you don't believe in Jesus. But if you've ever been in a trial, walking along with Jesus, there's nothing absolutely nothing more precious to you than this. Waiting alongside Jesus. Imagine yourself walking down the road, your favorite world, your favorite road in the world, whatever that is. Imagine yourself walking down that road with Jesus by your side and He's saying in the most perfect, gentle, joyful, loving, caring voice. What's wrong? What can I do for you? How can I make it good? 
And after you tell him, he says, trust and he'll hug you. Maybe even kiss you on the cheek and just walk till the end of that road. He'll just say, just wait. Look at me and wait. The greatest challenge for us Christians is God has a kind of timing which we don't necessarily like when we pray for something, right? It takes long or long. Most of the time it does. So when he ascended, going up, he said to his apostles, I'm sending you somebody else. I'm sending you a comforter. Among whose gifts, as I read at the beginning, is patience. So God gives us godly patience to wait for His godly time. If that's not love, then I don't know what love is. And He's asking me, are you willing to wait for me? Let me read it to you. Probably the most difficult verse in the Bible. It's a command. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various times. I'm not even going to go further. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various times. There's no other verse in the Bible that is more difficult than this. It's a command to be joyful when you're not supposed to, by nature, be joyful. I personally don't feel comfortable with this verse when I read it, especially during times of trial. And I'm not just saying this for the sermon, I'm actually saying it. Times of trials are horrible times, right? He says, no, he doesn't even say one kind of trial or one kind of testing, he says, various kinds. All of us can make endless lists of types of trials in our lives. And he says, count it all joy. All joy. Count it all joy. And you know what it what I mean, it's obvious that it works, right? For you know that testing of the faith produces steadfastness, right? There's patience and patience in that and all that. But if you don't count it joy, you don't get the patience. Trials have a purpose. They produce patience. But what we don't like is the process to get that patience. Now, Jesus is the author and perfecter and finisher of our life and faith. And if he says you need more patience, who are we to say no? And um, as you know, as you know, we are in an extended series in Job at the moment. Um, with a small break in between about joy. And it's James who says in his book, remember the patience of Job. Why am I supposed to remember Job's patience? 
Let me read to you what Job says. Or rather, how do you think this relates to joy? Let me read it. Job says, this is Job 6, chapter 6, verse 10. He says, My joy in unrelenting pain is that I had not denied the words of the Holy One. Joy, right? He counted. He counted all these trials as joy. He did not deny God. Job is, I like Job. I wonder if you like Job. Job complains a lot. He is very whiny. He is very insecure. But the one thing he doesn't do is he never turns his back to God. If you're looking up the verse in Job, it's chapter 6, verse 10. So, question to finish up number one, point number one. What is your joy in unrelenting faith? Number two, the test of faith. Trials are a test of our faith. Now here's a few questions for us. Everything is about questions. Do we believe in God even in the midst of pain and suffering and hardship? Whatever that, uh, whatever form it takes. Do we believe in the promises of God even when everything looks impossible? Do we trust in God even if He does not deliver us? We're talking about faith. Do we trust in God even if we do not understand His ways and workings in our lives? Is God, the, is God still the source of our joy when our faith now, in the book of Daniel, we find three young men who are tested in a um, gruesome, unbelievable, unbelievable way, right? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Uh, so, if, if you don't know the story, here's a short version of it. The king, uh, Nebuchadnezzar, makes an image out of gold and makes everybody worship it. In the entire empire, three young Jewish men stand up and say, we are not going to worship that idol. They're called to the king. The king says, if you don't worship, I'll throw you into the fiery furnace. And that's exactly what happens. Let me read it to you. Shadrach, Meshach, and this is Daniel chapter 3, verses 16 to 18. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning fire and furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. And then, verse 18, But if not, namely, if he doesn't deliver us, be it known to you, O King, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. In other words, it's not that we cannot worship it. We will not. We don't want to worship an idol. And it's not just their faith and their joy that is tested. It's their courage that is tested as well. So what's happening? Or what happened further? He takes them, throws them in the furnace, 
that was heated seven times the usual. And the king, for some strange reason, he looks into the furnace. What does he see? He sees four men, not three. And he says, the fourth man looks like the Son of God. What does that mean for us? Well, it means this. Let me read it to you. If we stand our ground, if we stay with Jesus, if He remains our source of joy during times of trial, when people will look at how we went through the trial, they won't see us, they will see Jesus. How does that, how does all this sign to joy? Now the, the three men are taken out of the furnace, of course, and not even their clothes are burned or smell of smoke, as you know. And just imagine, just imagine how much joy was in their hearts when the God of the universe, the God they worship all their life, delivered them. How much joy was in their hearts? Imagine. Point number three, a test of love. Of course, trials are a test of our uh, love. They reveal to us who or what we love the most. We had a Bible study, <clears throat> what, three weeks ago, I guess? Uh, this was one of the questions, what do you love the most? Apparently, it scared half of the Bible study. Um, because it's really difficult to answer. As you're sitting there, looking down, ask yourself, who or what dictates how I feel, how I think, what I like, how I decide things, how I speak, how I behave? That thing that dictates all of those things is the thing you love the most, maybe without even knowing you do. That's why it's so difficult to answer. We might not even know what we actually love the most. But the Lord Jesus wants us to love Him more than anything else. So let me read to you what happened to Peter one morning at breakfast. Many things can happen over breakfast. Dangerous type of meal. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Feed my lambs. Peter said to him a second time, John, um, Jesus said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. The question is, what motivates you daily? 
do we do things out of obligation or do we do things out of our love for Jesus? Or, coming closer to us as a church, actually, let's go a bit outside of the church. Do you know what sheep smell like? Do you know what sheep behave like? Now let's come into the church. We are the sheep. Jesus told Peter to take care of sheep because the love Peter had for Jesus. Peter was taught a great lesson. He was to serve others, not because others deserve it. The sheep don't deserve it. They're not very lovable. Or maybe they are. Peter was taught a great lesson. He was to serve others, not because others deserved it, but because he loved Jesus. How does, that, how does this tie into joy? Well, Jesus didn't tell Peter to rejoice in serving the sheep because the sheep were worthy of being rejoiced over. He told him to love and rejoice in serving the sheep because he, Jesus, was Peter's supreme joy. If you rejoice in Jesus, you will rejoice in anything He gives you to do. No matter how comfortable. Number four, the test of endurance. Of course, trials are a test of our endurance. And here we look at Paul. Paul says in 2 Corinthians, this is 2 Corinthians 11, 24 to 27. He says, Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods, once I was stoned, three times I was shipwrecked, a night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, dangers in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. Remember what James says? Count it all joy. Doesn't it look like the scariest command in the Bible? What must happen to a person's heart so that you take this list and you call it joy? Let me tell you what must happen. Jesus must become your supreme joy. This is Paul in uh, this is Philippians one. This is Philippians one verses twenty one to twenty three. Paul says, "For me to live." is Christ, is, and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me, yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. That's what Christ was for Paul. For him to die, was king. 
And a person like that can say all those things. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews, the four lashes, that's one, and so on and so forth. The road may be long, the road may be steep, the road may be rough, and Christian knows all about it because of his running. But don't give up until you cross the finish line because, because the prize is everlasting joy in Christ. For me to die is gain. Number five, the test of humility. We have two more. Trials are a test of humility. The Lord humbles us by allowing us to go through seasons of testing or trials. The Lord wants us to have the mind of Christ who humbled himself to take the form of a servant and become obedient or even to death. And here we have Moses as an example. This is Numbers 12, 1-3. Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses because of the Cushite woman whom he married. And they said... Has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Has he not spoken through us as well? And the Lord heard it. He wasn't pleased. And the man Moses was met very meek, more than all people who were on the face of the earth. You don't get more humble than that. Well, you do get Jesus more humble than that. But as a human being in sinful flesh, you don't get more humble than Moses. Moses was criticized, even by his own family, and the Bible still calls him he was, that he was meek. Now it's interesting that humility goes together with criticism in a conversation like this. Now, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands, but in your heart, raise your hand. How do you take criticism? Not good. It does not feel good. It's almost like a cross for many of us. For me personally, it is. How do you respond when you're criticized? Humility is not thinking less of yourself. You know this one, sure. Humility is not thinking of yourself, not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. And this ties us into joy. Why is humility thinking of yourself less? Well, because you don't find joy in thinking of yourself more, but you find joy in thinking and looking at Jesus more. It sounds very theoretical, but if you think about it, True humility, true, uh, yeah, true humility is boasting in Jesus. Right? Exercise for all of us. Next time you're criticized, take five minutes break and reflect on this. Maybe even say to yourself, you know, maybe the right. Maybe they are. Criticism needs to bring a type, type of uh, type. Criticism needs to bring a time of reflection into our lives. A humble reflection. 
Point number six, the test of sacrifice. Trials are a test of our willingness to sacrifice. Are we clinging to the possessions we have in this world too much? Do we have treasures in this world that we find it difficult to let go of? The, the Bible talks about being crucified to the world, dead to the world. The Lord leads us to the point of total surrender by leading us through paths of trials. He tests the level, the level of our willingness to sacrifice for Him. This is Genesis 22, verses 7 and 8. Isaac said to his father Abraham, My father. And he said, Here I am, my son. He said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went both of them together. Now you know the story of Isaac and how precious he was to Abraham. But God asks Abraham to sacrifice him, to test his heart, to test the source of Abraham's joy. But Abraham was willing to give him up. God intervened, of course, and provided another sacrifice. And I truly believe this is the best and truly the greatest image of what Christianity is. God intervenes and provides the right sacrifice, the perfect sacrifice at the right time. Abraham was about to stab Isaac at the right time. Now, a word about, about Abraham's heart. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us anything about what Abraham felt as he was taking Isaac with him. But as far as fatherhood goes, I really do not believe that what Abraham felt back then was less than I would feel for Alma and Amos. Excruciating pain. Paralyzing pain. Whatever you want to call it. But the source of joy was bigger in the heart of Abraham than just the gift of God in the end that was promised. Now, what is the true test for your willingness to sacrifice? Ask yourself this. What in your life provides more joy than Jesus? And point number seven, finally, and we're done. Trials are a test of our obedience to God. Are we willing to obey God even when He commands us to do what we do not like? Or what we wish to avoid? The Lord teaches us obedience by leading us through trials. And of course, Jesus is our example. I said we're going to finish by looking at Jesus, and that's what we're going to do. This is Matthew 26, verse 39. 
Going a little further, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. But nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. You know the verse very well, and you know the context very well. Within a few minutes after this, Jesus will be arrested. Within a few hours from this, he will be crucified and then killed. There are times in life when the road is not smooth, as I said before, but rocky. It can lead through the valley of death for many of us. But it surely did for Jesus. But, let me read to you Hebrews 12, verse 2, again. Look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of your faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross. Why did Jesus endure the cross? for the joy that was set before him. Now, what are, or what was that joy? What was that joy? The joy that was set before him. That's why he went to the cross. What was that joy? It was two joys. His glory and his bride. He saved his bride from eternal death. And he was happy because of that. That's why he went to the cross. That was his joy. The ultimate time of trial and the ultimate joy. Jesus is the example of perfect joy in God and is the way he can rejoice, is the way we can rejoice in God in times of trials. Through his obedience at the cross, Jesus' Jesus' patience, Jesus' love, trust, endurance, humility, his willingness to sacrifice and obedience were tested. And here is the gospel. Because, him, because of Him not failing, if we put our trust in Him, we will not fail in times of testing. I'm thankful that Jesus passed the test, aren't you? He died in your place, and because of His death, you can have Him as your supreme treasure and supreme source of joy during any or various trials. So because of Jesus, this command is no longer impossible. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. No longer impossible. Our Father in heaven, Lord, we are truly sheep, Lord, and we need you as our shepherd. Lord, you were gracious to come at the right time, 
just like you intervened in Abraham's and Isaac's story at the right time. And Lord, you took us in your hand. You considered us your joy, the kind of joy that would you, for which you would even endure the cross. So Lord, we thank you that we are your bride. And Lord, we thank you that you are our loving shepherd. Lord, I pray that through your spirit you would, you would enable us to live a life that shines forth what you have done for us. And I pray that you would help us again through your spirit to have you as the source of joy in any kind of trial. I ask for this.